before there's ever a showdown, before there's ever a big game on a big stage, there's been a lot of stuff to prepare you for that moment. That was the story of Elijah. Long before the, what we're about to read about in just a second, long before that happened, Elijah had to be obedient when nobody was watching. God found, finds a nobody guy from a nobody family from a nowhere town and asked him to do something that was crazy. He said, I want you to go to Ahab, the king, the dangerous king, the bad king, and I want you to go to him and say, there's neither gonna be dew nor rain till you get this stuff right. And Ahab was furious. And Ahab sends Elijah away. Elijah goes on the run. God sends him to this little brook called the Cherith Brook. And he goes, he's obedient. He goes to the brook and God says, I'm gonna take care of you at the brook. You're gonna get water. You're gonna get nourishment. The ravens are gonna feed you. And then we know from the story, the brook dried up. And God comes to Elijah and he said, hey, Elijah, I want you to do me a little favor. I want you to go now to a widow in a little town called Zarephath, which means crucible, which means you're gonna be tested there. And I want you to go to this widow who has a child and I want you to get something to eat and get something to drink and tell her before she takes care of her needs and her son's needs that you need to get yours first and that I'll take care of her. So Elijah does it and the lady goes, I'm preparing the last meal for me and my son. And he goes, well, give me something to eat and give me the first and God will take care of you. And we watch God take care of him. It's unbelievable. God began to give the family. He took the little bit, he made a lot, and God began to take care of the family. So surely that's done, right? Well, no. Then the lady's son, he dies. And the lady, the widow, who's already lost her husband, looks at Elijah and goes, it's your fault. You, you are the cause of this. And Elijah never says a word to her. He scoops up the son. He carries him up the stairs. He puts him on his bed. He prays over him. And we watch the first resurrection in scripture. We watch a child come back to life. Temporary, he's gonna die again, but temporarily comes back to life, brings him down, and they rejoiced. All of that was to prepare Elijah for this. All of that happened to get Elijah ready for the showdown of showdowns. So if you've got something to write with this morning, you got your little outline that you're giving on the way in or you're thumbing in um, the North Star app, North Star Church Georgia in the app store, ever what, what you're using, today's the day you might wanna jot a few things down. I want you to write down this little quote. We say it here all the time, but I say it a lot because it, you, you just can't escape it in scripture. God never wastes time and he never wastes our experiences. Nothing was wasted in Elijah's life. God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences. By being obedient, going to the Cherith Brook, trusting that the ravens are gonna take care of him, he learned God could do the impossible. Why? Because ravens didn't even feed their young and they're taking care of Elijah. He saw with this lady, God could take a little and God could make a lot. And he saw with her son coming back to life, God could do miracles in very unexpected places. God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences. How many of y'all would say there's things that go on in your life that just flat out don't make any sense? Raise your hand. Here's what I can tell you today. They probably won't, but God won't waste them. That's what I'll tell you. God's not gonna waste any of them. 
What Elijah didn't know was the showdown was coming, but God knew it, and God was shaping Elijah. The second thing is a quote my pastor growing up, our founding pastor at North Star, Ike, used to say all the time, I wrote it down, I was 12 years old, very first time I wrote this down, but it has proved so true over all these years. Ready, here's, here's the quote. The great doors of opportunity swing on little hinges called obedience. The great doors of opportunity swing on little hinges called obedience. Elijah is in the day of days on the stage of stages because all along the way, Elijah kept doing the next right thing. He kept being obedient in the small things and because he was obedient in the small things, God opened up the big things. And today, we're gonna watch a story that's powerful because the, the, the children of Israel, they're floating, man. They don't really know what's going on. Many have begun to worship false gods. We call them idols. Baal is the one you'll see mentioned most often today. Let me tell you what an idol is, ready? An idol is anything we go to thinking it will supply us and sustain us. So yes, you don't have bales probably on your dashboard or in your yard, but we have hobbies and we have jobs and we have people and we have sports and we have other things. We think, well, if I give my life into all this, it's gonna give me what I need and we find out it never does. And we're gonna watch the showdown of showdowns. First Kings chapter 18. Go ahead and turn in your Bible. First Kings chapter 18. It's where we're gonna be. If you got the app out, it's easy to read along. We're gonna read verses one and two and then 17 through 40. So my gift to you today is I don't wanna make, I'm not gonna make you stand because it's so much and I don't want your complaint cards like my legs are tired. All right, and so I want you to hear the story, right? I want you to get the story. So I haven't told you this yet. My name's Mike. I'm really glad you're here, but we got a lot to read and I love a game day, right? Friday night in Atlanta. How many of y'all watch the Braves Dodgers Friday night? You tuned in, it was a great night, bad, bad outcome, great night. I, I, love, I love a big football game. I remember a couple years ago, I got a call from the Falcons. Would you like to come do the chapel before the NFC Championship game on Sunday? And I'm like, I wanna be a man of prayer. I'll pray about it. Amen, I think I'm free, all right? And so tell me, tell me what time I need to be there. I love a big game, right? You're gonna watch a big game. 1 Kings 18, verse one, let's dive in, ready? Later on, in the third year of the drought, everybody look at me, it ain't rained in Atlanta much lately, but it's rained in three years. It hadn't rained there in three years. Crops are drying up, they can't feed the livestock, they got a problem. And there's a reason for it. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. But third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go present yourself to King Ahab. Elijah, I told you to leave Ahab, now I'm telling you to go back to Ahab, and you tell him I'm gonna send some rain. So Elijah went to prayer before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Let's just put it this way. Everybody look at me. The famine has everybody's attention. That's what you need to know. Everybody is open for business, right? We got a problem. Verse 17, 
when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it's really you, you troublemaker of Israel. So Ahab knows and remembers Elijah quite well. And he said, you're the problem. You're the cause of all the junk going on. You're the troublemaker. That's said two other times in scripture. One of the people that was called a troublemaker was Jesus. By the Pharisees, you're a troublemaker. Elijah's a troublemaker. But I love, I lo- you talking about gutsy. Look at Elijah, verse 18. I've made no trouble for Israel. You and your family, you're the troublemakers for you've refused to obey the commands of the Lord and you've worshiped the images of Baal instead. Basically, Elijah said, you had your chance and you screwed it up. You're the cause of all this. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. Jezebel is Ahab's wife, and she's not a good person, all right? If you, if you have named your child Jezebel, I would love to know why, but anyway, so she's just not a good person, all right? We won't get into it, but anyway, if you have somebody in your family named Jezebel, I'm sorry, all right? So let's keep reading, verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, this is, boy, this is strong. How much longer are you gonna waver hobbling between two opinions? The Lord is God following. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely, what's the next word? Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who's left, which wasn't quite true, but I'm the only prophet left. Baal has 450. Bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, on the altar without setting fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of, the, of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And on this, all the people, what? Then Elijah said to the prophet to Baal, you go first, there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of the God of your God, and don't, but don't set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar, called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. They danced, hobbling around the altar they made. Do you know why there was no reply? Because there is nobody to answer. Look, look at what happened. About noontime, Elijah began, this is one of my favorite parts. When you go, is the Bible real? This is beautiful. Elijah began mocking them. Oh, you guys need to shout a little louder for surely he's a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's maybe relieving. He's going to the bathroom, all right? So I don't know where your God is, but he's evidently not around. Or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. It's not like Elijah standing there with an army of people around him. He's all by his lonesome. It's one against the world and he's loving every second of it. Look at what happened. So they shouted Louder, Because when you shout louder, that gets it better, right? And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all day until the time of evening sacrifice. 
but there was still no sound, there was still no reply, and there was still no response. Do you know why? Because false gods can't answer. Little g gods can't take care of you. We learn that in the stock market, don't we? We learn it when we think we're in a lifetime job that comes to an end. We think it when we're in a career that we thought we'd be in forever. And we find out false gods never respond like we need. And look at what happens. This is so good. So Elijah calls the people, come on over. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. So during this time, because of Baal worship, the altars that had been set up previously to honor the Lord, like Moses had told them to do, they've all been, they've all been ravaged. They've all been torn down. So he repaired the altar. Verse 31, it's really interesting. He took 12 stones. Remember right now, we talked about the first week we were in a divided kingdom. Elijah goes, well, in the Lord, there's really no division. So he takes 12 stones representing the tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold three gallons. He piled wood on it, cut the bull in pieces, and he laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water. They said the jars would weigh about 28 pounds of water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And you're like, all right, there's a drought. Where's the water coming from? Two places. One, there's the Mediterranean Sea. If it's on, we don't know exactly where it was. It was on Mount Carmel. On one side, on the eastern side of Mount Carmel, you are by the Mediterranean. You could have gone down and gotten it. There's also springs that are located all around that mountainside. So wherever they got the water, they went and got water. They filled the large jars. They poured the water over the offering and the wood. So Elijah's not making it more conducive to fire. He's making it harder for fire to start, right? He's pouring water over everything. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. When they finished, he said, do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evenings of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Time out. How many of y'all would say Elijah's prayed desperate prayers before? Just nod your head. He prayed him when he was trying to figure out what to eat, wasn't he? He's trying to figure how God's gonna take care of this widow and her family. I can guarantee you, he's looking at that widow, give me your last bit of food and your little bit of drink, and you know he's praying, God, you gotta come through. When that widow brought him her son who had passed, you know, Elijah prayed some desperate prayers. God, you brought me here. Don't leave me hanging. Elijah was ready for this moment. Elijah was prepared for this moment. And Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you're God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you've brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, even licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, 
the Lord, he is God. So the one triune God is the God. Then Elijah commanded, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and he killed them there. Welcome to church, all right? And so Elijah <laughs> takes the prophets of Baal down, and he goes and just takes care of business. So God leaves us stories like these, not to just know. Great story to know. Listen, we believe, I believe that it happened exactly like it was written. The question isn't whether it happened. The question is, why did he leave it for me? That's the question. See, we all walk in a room like this, and we're really not that much different than these people that were there that day. Because we're trying to figure out, where am I at in this game, right? On Sundays, I believe this, but on Monday to Saturday, I get to live over here. And I'm telling you, every time in our lives when we reach a point where God wants to do something great, we have to choose which side we're on. I remember going to the beach and I see some of my former students in the room when I was back in student pastor and we'd draw a line in the sand and we'd go, man, at some point in our lives, guys, we gotta make a decision. Are we on this side or are we on that side? And that's what today is about. Three lessons from the story. Pen, pencil, something to write with. I want you to thumb in. We learn from this amazing showdown. The biggest battles in life are fought in our heart. Baal versus God, no match. The question of that day was, what do the people do with it? That was the question of the day. The biggest battles in life are fought in here. When I figure out who I'm gonna serve, that's the question of the day. I love how Elijah said it to him. He said, how long are you gonna keep wavering between two opinions? You say this, but you live this, is what Elijah was saying to him. You say you're an Israelite and we worship one, one God, but yet we go to Baal and we go to other sources to meet our needs. How long are you guys gonna keep floating? Elijah gave them a shot early and they didn't want any part of it. They were silent. They didn't say anything. Why? Because making that decision is not easy. How long are you gonna waver between two opinions? Jesus said it like this, no man can serve two masters. We live in a world that demands our attention. And one of the reasons we struggle in our walk with the Lord is we are so distracted from what he has for us. I'll tell you this. If I were to ask you, what do you wanna do in life? What's the purpose you were created for? You would tell me something great. So at the end of, uh, I do a little podcast for fun on the side and um, at the end, I get to speak some, to some amazing people and I, 90% of the time, I'll ask them the question, so what's the purpose you believe that the Lord created you for? And they all pause. And then they tell me what that answer is. 
The hard part, though, isn't knowing that purpose. The hard part's living it. Because you can't do something great if you don't know what side you're on. People that live in both worlds never make a mark on this world. They don't. People that are all in one world are the people that make a mark on this world. They got guts and they make a choice. The greatest battle is the battle of your heart. Who today are you serving? I've said it a thousand times in here. When my kids were growing up, my biggest worries, my kids would grow up and say, the dad you saw on Sunday is not the dad we see Monday to Saturday. He lives in two worlds and you just get one of them. We get the other one. So if I ask your Sunday friends what you're like, what answer would I get? If I ask your Monday to Saturday friends what you get, what you're like, would it look different than your Sunday self? So it's a battle for our heart and that battle wages every day. Whether you're in your 20s or whether you're in your 50s. All right, if you're in your 20s, it doesn't get easier as you get older. It doesn't. All right? Not only is snap, crackle, pop a cereal, it's also what your body does every day, all right? So in life, life doesn't get easier, but it doesn't even get easier following Jesus as you get older. It really doesn't. And there's a, there's a choice that we've gotta make every day on what side we're on. Lesson number two, the biggest surprise of life is that God chases after us, not to pay us back, but to win us back. The biggest surprise of life is that God chases after us, not to pay us back, but to win us back. So for three years, these people and this nation has experienced a what? A what? What was it? A drought. That whole drought had one intention. It wasn't to punish the people. It was to get their attention to win them back. It's the whole point of the story. In the New Testament, here's the word. I want you to write this in your outline. Grace, that's the word, grace. Grace is we don't deserve it. Grace is we can't earn it. Grace is it keeps chasing us. Grace is we run from it. Grace is we don't, we'll never live up to it. See, if we're sitting in here today and we go, Mike, I'm never gonna measure up to all what God wants me to be, I would say, you're right. If you were to say today, Mike, I don't deserve what God gives me, I would go, you're correct. If you were to say today, Mike, I don't know why he won't give up on me, I would agree with you. But that's why it's called grace. It's God's unmerited favor. That day, that fire shouldn't have fallen on that altar. That fire should have fell on those people that have been living between two opinions all these years. But it didn't. It fell on the altar to get their attention. Well, Mike, you're just reading that in. No, 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 no. Listen to what Elijah said. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, 
are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. All of this happened so you could get their attention so you could win their heart. Some of you, you ended up in church today not because a roommate invited you or a friend invited you or you came to an event in our building and you just happened to show up this Sunday. No, you ended up here today because God's going on a chase for you. and He ain't going to quit. We are deep on grace here at North Star because if it isn't for grace, we're all in big trouble. Can we agree with that? All right. Do we live in a messed up world, yes or no? No, it's just messed up. Why does God not come back and just take care of it all? Because he's still waiting on people to come to know him. Grace. That's why the fire hadn't fell. Grace. Good friend of mine a couple years ago, we called it the rundown. He had been between third and home for 20 years. And he had to make, I remember sitting with him in a restaurant going, you have got to decide, are you going back to third or are you gonna come home? And this was his line, my legs are tired. I'm ready to come home. I've been vacillating so long. And grace isn't gonna stop. God does not chase you to pay you back. He chases you to win you back. Number three. The biggest opportunities of life hinge on how we respond when faced with the truth. Great story. God showed out, God showed up, boom, it was big. But that wasn't the win of the story. The win of the story was the people. Look at what it says. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. And that day, in that moment, some heart, in that moment, some hearts got set free. Because they made a choice that was gonna change their families. They made a choice that day that was gonna change their future. And that choice that day was gonna change the impact they would make on this world. I'm telling you, half people never make an impact on this world. They just don't. Because nobody really knows who they are. It's the people that are all in that go, God, I believe you are who you said you were, and I got both feet on that side. Those are the people that change the world. The Billy Grahams, the Mother Teresas, and I could name 50 people you wouldn't even know their name, but they changed their little world because they chose that day who they were gonna serve. See, in this room today, we've got three camps of people. Watch it online. One camp is the diligent, faithful people. Ain't nothing special about you. But you're gonna get up tomorrow morning. You're gonna spend some time in God's word. You're gonna pray. You're gonna be obedient. You're gonna be faithful to your family. And you've been doing it for years. 
Th- those are the people that make this church happen. I was just at our newcomers tour, about 20 people our newcomers tour, and I said, you're going to get to meet the, 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 the secret sauce of North Stars. You go around this morning. Secret sauce of North Stars are volunteers. It's the everyday people that keep doing it. Do you know what your battle is? Getting up and doing it tomorrow. That's your battle. Because I'm one day, everybody look at me, walking to Jesus, locking eyes with Jesus. I'm one day away from locking eyes with something else and getting off path, and so are you. The battle tomorrow morning for Mike Lynch isn't the God I'm gonna serve. The battle tomorrow morning is, am I gonna be obedient with the next thing that God puts in my path? That's my question, and that's your question. If you're in that faithful crowd, you're living it, but it's doing it again tomorrow, right? It's sort of the Dansby, I'm so glad you were three for three tonight, but guess what, tomorrow's a new game, but basically. There's another crowd, though. You're the one-foot-in, one-foot-out crowd. You're a Christ believer. You believe, you've been baptized, but you're not a Jesus follower. You're in and out. I'm telling you, you want your life to count? You're gonna have to get all in. And only you can make that choice. Dad, you want to change your family? Choose this day what side you're on. No matter what it costs. I'll tell you this. It's harder being a parent with both feet in the God side than it is being a parent that vacillates in between. We just sort of let it go. I'm just telling you, it's harder. but one has a lasting impact. You're a Christ believer? Or are you a Jesus follower? I remember it was sitting up, right up in a conference room up there a couple years ago when a, a Dan Hefner, the head baseball coach at Dallas Baptist, looked at a, about 50 coaches and he said, I'm not asking you if you know Jesus. I'm asking if you're a kingdom coach. Are you building something that's bigger than you? Are you a Jesus follower? Then there's a third camp and you're the people that walked in today and you've never met Jesus. But today, you get a choice. I'm in, I'll pass. I'll tell you this, he ain't gonna quit chasing you. And the life he has for you is the best one you could ever find. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to deal with this last camp first. You know who you are. Your heart is going to come out of your chest. You know you don't know. And you're tired of being in a pickle, running between third and home. Today, you go, Mike, I want to go home. Can I give you a prayer? It's it's really a cry more than it is a prayer. And it goes like this, Jesus, I need you. I believe you live for me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again just for me. Jesus, leave heaven and step in my heart. 
I'm begging you today. If that's you here today, welcome home. The chase is over. Now you get to spend the rest of your life figuring out what grace is all about. Welcome home. Father, I know in this building especially and watching online today, God, I know there's a lot of people that have got feet in both sides. And they're missing the impact they could make. Missing the impact on their family. They're missing the impact on their neighborhood. They're missing the impact in their dorm, in their apartment, on their ball team. Because you're living with toes in both sides. Father, today I am praying for an army of Jesus followers to say, I know for me and my house, I know where I'm living. And every day I'm gonna get up and every day I'm gonna lock eyes with Jesus and every day I'm gonna walk a little bit closer to him because I want my life to count. I know he didn't leave me here to just occupy space. God, I see you perched on the balcony of heaven, just peeking over today to see who's stepping over the line. Who says, I want my life to count? Who says, I'm not keeping a foot in both sides anymore? I'll tell you which it is for me. God, I'm praying for a church called North Star to love you with all we've got. God, I'm praying for a church called North Star to love people like you do. God, we look back at your word and we see you answer when we call. You've done it before, you'll do it again. And God, whether the situation looks possible or impossible, we've seen you come through in the generations before. We believe you will come through now. We're stepping across that line and saying, I am gonna live sent for Jesus. God, today, do what only you can do so we can be only who you can make us to be. And Jesus, we give it to you.